You know, as a pastor, I end up having to write a lot. We go through seasons where every day we write devotions, and um, writing is something that becomes more natural as a, somebody who has to do it more often. But can I tell you, I hate writing. Writing is like, it's like pulling teeth. Uh, I had to write so many papers in seminary. I had to write so many papers. I went to a liberal arts college to do bio. I don't know what I was doing. And I'm like, why am I writing all these papers? And I found that I remember every single one of them because it cost me something. Like, I don't know if, you, uh, or if you're still in school or if you've been in school before. Uh, it's painful. Um, the strange part is, because it's so painful, I remember every single paper I wrote. Back in the fifth grade, we had to do a, uh, kind of like a biography. We had to pick one person, read about them, and actually kind of present their life, a portraiture of their life. And I had to do this guy. I chose this guy. Um, he probably doesn't look like much to you, uh, this kind of doughy man, but he actually is a giant in our history. Uh, recently, two pictures, films, feature films came out about like his role in World War II. Uh, by the way, you, know, you notice that always it comes in pairs, like the, the, the asteroid movies, like they came in pairs. It's because one guy pitches a, a storyline and goes through all these, all these different studios, and, and uh, one studio says, well, we like the idea, we just won't use you. And so that's how it, they always come out in pairs. But it means that in many ways there's a reflection at this time that, wow, his life mattered. His life was distinctive. It changed the course of history. Britain was about to crumble against an uh, uh, incredibly, uh, impossibly effective army, uh, the German army. And in the midst of this, this one guy steps into power and he emboldens the whole nation to stand through bombings to actually, this small little island country, to stand up against um, uh, Hitler and his forces. And in the midst of this, he actually was a turning point of, of the whole World War II. Well, I remember reading about this guy, not just in terms of what he did, but what he went through. And as a fifth grader, like I didn't understand, but here's this guy, he looks like this hero by you know, incredible courage, but in fact, he suffered with depression his whole life. You think about that. It made an impact on me. I was like, wow. This guy looks so strong, looks like he, you know, he was born of all kinds of, um, you know, as an arist in the aristocracy. He looks like he had silver spoon in his mouth. He's incredibly intelligent. He has all these giftings, but actually he struggled quite a bit. I learned uh, in other kinds of studies, he had huge failures in his life. In fact, he was given a very influential role in World War I, and his plan actually came into a you know, huge disaster in Gallipoli. And so he even left all public service. He eventually came back because there's this perseverance in his life. He was so well-rounded in so many ways, too. I, just, I was amazed. This guy not only was the statesman and this kind of political leader, he, in fact, um, he won the Nobel, uh, Nobel Prize for Literature as a writer, okay? In fact, he was an amateur bricklayer, okay? He did all kinds of stuff, and as I was looking at his life, I look back and I realize, wow, there's a reason why you tell students to study other people's lives. There's a reason why we read biographies. I read biographies of missionaries, and I bawl. I don't know what it is. I just, I just start crying about, like, how not only the suffering they endured, but what passion drove them to live their lives this way. There was a, there was a uh, I had to write a paper, and uh, I just couldn't, couldn't do it anymore. I was just dying, so I actually wrote, I read a little biography of Adoniram Judson. I cried that whole night. I didn't write my paper, because there was something so powerful about a life. And to this day, I find that uh, a life is the most potent, influencing thing that you could ever find. 
If you ever encounter somebody, get to know somebody, not just through books or writing a paper, and you see who they are, the reality of not only what they've struggled with, but who they've become, it is the most powerful evidence and the most inspiring thing you could ever encounter. Well, we're looking at this kind of idea that uh, we're called to see those who live this life, who've chosen to live an exemplary life, and we're called to follow that in Christ definitely. That looking at somebody and how they live, who they are, what they've overcome, is such a potent expression of reality of Christ in our lives. Well, we're in First Timothy, and we're walking through. Uh, this is, there's 11 sermons in this sermon, sermon series, and we're walking through each verse and each section. And we're in First Timothy chapter 4. We're going to finish out First Timothy chapter 4. But uh, we're in the section where Paul is actually telling Timothy, pay attention to your life. Watch it carefully. Not just how you live, but what you believe and how they are congruent. Your speech and your conduct. Watch how you're living, your love, your faith, and your purity. So much so that you make an example. You set an example for other people to follow. Because this is going to have so much impact in your own life and the people who see you. And so we're going to walk through this passage. We've heard it read. And we're going to try to get a sense of what does it mean to us? Uh, because it sounds like Paul is telling Timothy, well, if you've been with us as we're going through this series, we realize that this is a semi-private letter. It was read in front of all the church in Ephesus. And so it was preached in some ways. Um, but it was directed toward Timothy. And if you look carefully at First um, uh, Timothy and you read in your like, NIV Bibles, they have like subtitles, subsections. They give you a little idea of what's coming up. A lot of these subsections, they're not in the original scripture, by the way, but it's people... Uh, you know, the Bible editors help you try to understand what's being said. This is Paul's kind of commands to Timothy as a minister. These are ministerial, pastoral commands. But actually, that first verse well, reminds us, wait a minute, this is not just for Timothy. That first verse, verse 11, is a hinge verse. It reflects on what we covered last week. Train yourself to be godly. It's not just to Timothy. It's saying, Command and teach these things. It's not just for you, Timothy. It's for all the church in Ephesus. It's not just for pastors and ministers. Some of the sections is going to be a little more so, but this idea of how we're supposed to approach God as truth and godliness, um, yeah, it's for everyone. Command and teach these things. That means it's applicable to each of us, both what was for previous, First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, and what we're going to hear today. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Okay? Anybody had this message preached to you before? I was a youth pastor. This was the favorite passage of youth pastors because uh, it has the word young in it, right? And so you'd always preach it. I would always preach it when the fifth graders came up to, to youth group. Uh, I would always preach it and say that, you fifth graders, as you're coming up, you're a sixth grader now, you know, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. You get to set an example. It was a nice idea. But... um. Uh, the language of young is very, very, you know, uh, subjective, okay? What does it mean to be young, right? Uh, I always laugh because when you're around children, five-year-olds will tell two-year-olds, yeah, when I was your age, when I was young, you know, I, I did these things. Ten-year-olds will say, when I was young, 15-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds. I'm 48, and so um, 
Uh, it's only been recently since I stopped saying, when I grow up, when I grow up, what is young, <laughs> right? What does young mean? In fact, Timothy most likely is not 14. Uh, the idea of what it means to be young is like 40. Anybody under 40 is young. And if you're an Asian, you know what I'm talking about. Because Asians, you can be 35 and you're still young. Uh, I'm a pastor. I guess pastors are supposed to be really uh, old, uh, you know, uh, creepy old men. Because every time I would meet somebody, they'd be like, oh, you're a pastor? You're so young. You're like, do I have a baby face? I don't know. I have gray hair now. When I didn't have gray hair, people would look at me like, oh, you're a pastor? You're so young. Because anything younger than 40. It's just a way of saying these titles, these ways of kind of like disparaging you, Oh, you're not influential. You have, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what kind of life you lead. You're just young, so just don't even worry about it. Or why should we even listen to you? These titles of disparaging is actually, uh, Paul is swiping away with. In fact, if you remember from Galatians 3.28, when you're baptized, all these titles of who's important, who's influential, whose life matters, all wiped out. That in fact, Jew and Gentile, Jews thought they were, the, they were the people of God and everybody else is going to get wiped out. Gentile, okay, who thought all, like the Romans, thought, uh, everybody else, the Greeks thought, everybody else were barbarians. Wiped out, okay? Male and female. You're, you're just a woman. All wiped out, okay? Slave and free, okay? Class, gender, ethnicity, age, all wiped out. In fact, the only thing that matters is who you are in Christ, Okay? Now there is no uh, Jew or Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. We are just who we are in Christ. And I think it's a reminder to us. Sometimes we look at certain people and say, they should be the ones to set an example, right? Because it says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, and love, and faith, and purity. We look to some people set an example, like pastors, which is rightfully so, like older people, like the elders of the church, like so on and so forth. But actually he's saying every single person, whether you're young or old, whether you're a woman or a man, whether you are Jew or Gentile, whether you're slave or free, whether you have a lot of money or you don't, whether people say to you, oh, you should be influential or you're not, everybody has this incredible calling and ability to set an example to live a life, an exemplary life, a life that counts. When people see you say, there is something significant about this person. Timothy is told, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but instead, turn all of that into passion to set an example. Because why? This is how we learn. This is how we grow. Seeing somebody, watching them live, in a real-life context, and then being able to imitate them, it is the most powerful way of learning. We do this from a young age. How do you teach anything? Motion, skill, language. You watch somebody, you hear them, you see them do it, right? Even, um, you know, we've got our, our uh, Krav Maga self-defense person. Yeah, if you want to see how it's done, watch them move. Ballet, martial arts, whatever it may be. This is the primary way people learn. Uh, we go to India for missions every year. And if you go to India, we go to the schools and we try to do some ministry in the school settings. It's kind of funny. Even at high school level, you know how they learn? This is, the, er, this is the very basic system of learning. One person says something and then the rest of the class repeats. 
You know, in Hindi, it's like da 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 da. Actually, it's kind of cute because a little kid will stand up and the rest of the kids will repeat. That's how they learn. We try to teach them a song, and so we would sing the one line and have them sing the next line, and it says, "Now, everybody, let's sing together." They couldn't do it because they're just echoing what we've done. It's so stuck in them. But in fact, this is the most potent way we learn. Paul says this in another setting in First Corinthians chapter eleven. Follow my example. Look at the way I live. It's not, a, it's not a point of pride. It's a point of, I am called myself. I know this is my calling as a person in Christ. Because I'm following the example of Christ. I'm still following it. I'm not young anymore. I'm still following it. And so I'm leaving something behind, an example, for you to follow. And he's telling Timothy, set an example. Live an exemplary life. Because that's how we all learn. That's how the people who are watching us are going to learn and see and grow. Children do this all the time. Yeah? Uh, young boys always do what their fathers do. Fathers invite young boys to actually do what they're doing. Um, uh, girls are actually, they look at not only their moms, they look at older sisters even more. That's, they're so prone to looking and watching and imitating. I think there's such, such a way for us to see how we live is such a strong marker in our, not only our children's lives, but the generations that are following. Well, sometimes though, the young shock us. The young intuitively know what to do, or they've been taught. You've been in a setting where children really know how to worship. They are singing their hearts out. They, they mean everything they say. You know, I grew up in a setting where it says that if you're not like an adult, you're not a full person, you don't fully get it. But as a youth pastor and fifth graders and third graders, I could see children fully grasping, fully giving their heart and their life. The sad part is, as a youth pastor, I would see them growing up, and then by the time they got to like 10th grade, 11th grade, there's this jadedness. Here comes these fifth graders, they're like, oh, I love you, God, thank you so much. They're weeping and they're so amazed at who God is. Here's these seniors. You know, this is before cell phones, and they would like, they were just like, oh, you know, Pastor, you're going over, you're going over time. Uh, it's, it's hilarious, but it's also really sad. As we grow, as we progress, we're supposed to set an example. But in fact, oftentimes, we forget that in fact that's what we're called to do. Not only in our own families and our own settings, but in the world as well. I mention this because next month, coming in July, we're going to be doing this as we normally do. The month of July we spend together, all together. I'm not just talking about all together as adults. The youth join us. The kids join us. It gets a little noisy. It's like an extended family gathering. And at first, we get a lot of complaints. Like, oh, I can't focus. This is horrible. It's like just so noisy. It's so crazy. But why are we doing this? Because our children grow up in settings where they're completely segregated. And they're only getting to see certain aspects of their parents certain aspects of home life. They don't get to see their parents worship. They don't get to see their parents prepare for worship. They don't get to see the habits of faith and of life, the practice. It's a way for us to remind ourselves we have to set an example. Both the young get to do that, but especially those who are progressing in Christ, we're called to do that, like Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in 
speech and in conduct and love, faith, and purity. There's five things here, but I'm going to group them into two different settings because I think that's what he's trying to say. Set an example in your words and in your actions, your speech and your conduct. Let there be a congruence where you're talking the talk and you're walking the walk. Okay? Set an example in your words and your actions, but how do you set an example? You set your example by the way you love, by the way that you pursue and live out faith and by your purity. This is the way that we get to set an example. This is what Paul is after for Timothy, but also the church in Ephesus and also to us. How do we do that? How do we set an example? How do we grow in this? And Paul falls, falls through and gives us some help in this. Paul is desperate to come and to encourage and to teach and to guide, pour something of himself, because Paul's so other-centered, not only to Timothy, but also the church in Ephesus. He says, until I come to Timothy, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Now, this is not necessarily something that uh, most of us are called to do. This is, this is definitely for Timothy and for those who are pastors because that's their main job. That's their main calling. But there's still something to glean for us because look carefully at what he's trying to say. In Timothy's calling in his life, he's called to be a, somebody who ministers, who guides and teaches. He's called to actually dig in and delve and live out of the truth of the scriptures, right? By Reading it in public, that's what they did in the synagogues. You read it, and then you expounded on it. That's what Jesus did. Every time he went to synagogue, he would read a scripture, and he would teach it. That's what he's saying. Be faithful in his ministry. But then he actually also says, do not neglect your gift which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Back then, uh, when you were being ordained, it's the people who would come filled with the Spirit, and they would put their hands on you, just like Moses did with Joshua. And something of the the person who's lived, the spirit of Moses is being imparted onto Joshua. Just like Elisha, Elijah and Elisha. It's like God taking something of the person who's lived and using that to be poured out to the, to the young. That's how it was done. And as the spirit of God came and filled him, guess what? There's a gift that was identified. For Timothy, it was um, teaching and it was ministry. Let's try to apply this into our lives. Not everybody, for me, it's directly applied. I've got to live my life in such a way that I'm devoting myself, myself to this kind of life. Um, not just reading the scriptures, but studying, meditating, uh, ingesting, and learning to be able to grow and communicating it, living it in my life as well. But I think there's a reason why he actually says, devote and do not neglect. Because somewhere along the line, even for pastors... And if it's true for pastors, it's true for everybody. This call to live your life passionately in the scriptures, find out what pleases the Lord, grow in godliness, that actually begins to get tiresome. Kind of like the same thing with you know, a, a third grader and a fifth grader and then a high schooler. By the time you get an adult, there's a lot of stuff going on in your heads. There's bills to pay. It's your spouse that's driving you crazy. Your kids are driving you crazy. You want to go here. You can't go here. Your boss is telling you to do this. It's nuts. Um, life gets harder. Life gets more, you know, New York is filled with a lot of bitter people. Um, I don't know why, but uh, when I go walk around, sometimes with my dog, uh, people tell me their life story, and a lot of it's very bitter. It's like, this happened to me, this happened to me. Uh, it's tough. And before you know it, the, the, the life of just... Living with God in his truth, in his presence, in his scripture, 
pursuing him, shaping your life, building your life around God, it gets really easy to neglect. It gets frustrating at times, doesn't it? It feels like, well, I'm serving you, God. I'm, I'm living this out, and it's not paying off the same kinds of dividends. But there's something about this that we cannot forget. There is only one way to progress in Christ, and we're going to see it in just a bit. We progress in knowing him and living him out as our wills and our lives and our time and our hearts are moving toward him, as we devote. It's so easy to neglect, but as we devote, something's going to happen in us. We're going to move. I find that just the act of opening up, and nobody does this anymore. Everybody has it on their phones, right? I've got all kinds of uh, software on my, on my computers. Nobody opens up the scriptures like this. But just the act of even, even though you have it on your phone, you can read it any time, how hard is it to sit and to say, God, I want to know you? How hard is it to come to a Bible study and actually deal with a lot of details or a sermon where it's just the text, it's just the Bible. It's not all tons of stories or inspirational stuff. How hard is it? It's so easy to neglect. I think there's a call for us, even as a church, to say, where do we get our fuel? Where do we get our direction? How are we going to progress in Christ? It only comes as we devote ourselves. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. There is no half way of doing this. The word for give yourself holy means immerse yourself. Get stuck in it. If you ever uh, found something exciting and something new, right, a hobby it could be, um, guess what? The only way to really do well and grow in it is you think about it all the time. You're on the internet and you're, you're, you're reading, you're watching YouTube. Um, I bought this paint sprayer and it's, I don't know, I haven't even painted yet. I haven't opened the box yet, but I go online and I, I can see how these guys are painting a room in nine minutes. Uh, I bought it because we're going to try to paint some of the rooms here. And uh, it's actually really cool. Like, this is so cool. Uh, you start to get interested in it. You start to actually get immersed. Anybody try to learn a new language before? You know how hard it is? But if you're immersed in it, it comes naturally. That's the language here. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. This word is very key because he's saying to Timothy, as you do this, as you partner with God to really pursue him and to know him and live this out, there's going to be a progression. You're going to grow into a kind of person you're gonna, that can set an example for others. It is guaranteed. On the flip side, what you devote yourself to, what you immerse yourself in, there is going to be a progression. It's going to move in such a way that your personhood is changed and is revealed. In 2 Timothy, this word is touched on, the kind of the cognates or the, the, the cousins of this word base, is touched on three times describing the elders that are causing so much trouble. They are messed up because of what they are immersing themselves in. And he has to say, but they, the elders, false teaching, and so on and so forth, will not get very far. They will not progress in Christ. There is no way to immerse yourself in something that is not Christ, that is not the things of God, and progress. Because, as in the case of those men, isn't it interesting? It says their folly will be clear to everyone. For Timothy, as he's diligent and, and immerses himself, guess what? His progress will be clear. But for these people, they're not going to get even far. Only their folly, how messed up their faith in their life is, 
You only have two directions. Either immerse yourself this way and progress in Christ, or you get immersed in other things and you progress in a different direction. But you don't get very far in Christ. A second reference or cognate is you find him saying, avoid godless chatter, meaningless language, uh, and, and actually talking about false truths. Because those who indulge in it will become progressively more and more ungodly. Okay? You don't just stay same. You either go become godly or more ungodly, especially in this world. The third one, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, will progress in the opposite direction, deceiving and being deceived. But for Timothy, be diligent in these matters, immersing yourselves in the truths of God, the ways of God, the presence of God, so that everyone may see how you are growing not just in your skills. And when I was hearing this passage as a pastor, it was like you have to grow in your preaching skill. You have to grow in your counseling skill. Grow in your administration skill. Grow in your leadership skill. So on and so forth. But actually, here is more about who are you becoming as a person in faith and love and in purity. This is what he's after. And it takes intentionality. It takes huffing and puffing at times. It's not easy. Uh, I liken it to hiking, and if you can see, I'm not the body type to hike, okay? I'm not a mountain climber. Um, uh, I, I, I couldn't, I, I, hiking is actually very painful for me, like riding, but there's something about the payoff, the money spot, that just gets me every single time. I'm like, oh, it's so hard, but I get to the top, and I just, I, I meet God at the top, always. It's, it's, he's, he's so gracious to me. Um, this is one place I'm dying to go. It's called Angel's Landing in Zion National Park it's in Utah. We were in Arizona, and I was only five-hour five drive away. I was like, please, to my, to, to my family, can, you, can we go? And they said, no. You dragged us around so much. I'm like, no, we're so close. I'm going to Utah again for my sister's wedding, but the ranch is far to the east, and it's too far. Twice now, I'm in five-hour driving range, and I can't get there. Um, one of these days, I'm going to make it to Angel's Landing. Some of you have, in here have been there. I envy you. <laughs> um, but Angel's Landing, it's an amazing money spot. You get to the top, you see incredible stuff. But <laughs> you don't get there with a tram or a trolley or a helicopter. It requires a strenuous climb. There's narrow route with cliff exposures, hazardous during thunderstorms, darkness, and ice snow conditions. It is a metaphor of what our Christian faith and our progression in Christ is like. It takes a lot of intentionality. You can't just get up here just on a leisurely stroll. This is part of it. This is the easy part. <laughs> yes. Because they have it all stared out for you. That's the easy part. Because when you get to the top, you have to, it's, you have to use you know, this stuff. Yeah, it's not an easy climb. But as you get up there, you see where you've come how far you've progressed. You get a vantage point that nobody on the ground can see, and it stays with you. No wonder that people celebrate at the top, right? Yeah. It is one of the most powerful experiences to actually give your whole self and then experience the payoff, right? That's what he's talking about. There is a celebration waiting for those who actually progress in Christ who know how valuable it is to build your life around him. That one day, when the storm does come, everybody who's lived their life building it on the, the sandy ground, everything is going to be torn off. 
It's hard building on rock. It's hard climbing up to the top. But if you do, if you're willing to, if something in the Spirit of God is driving you, there is an amazing celebration that we get to experience along the way, but it's waiting for us. And he's saying, not only will we see it, the people around us, they will pay attention. We'll live a life in such a way that will set an example for others. We're called to watch our life and our doctrine closely. What is, a, what is life and doctrine? Well, first of all, it seems like watch means pay attention, look carefully. But actually the word for watch may be better understood and translated hold fast, hang on, okay? In the storm on the ocean, you hold on, you grip with everything you have, white knuckled. The truth of God's love, of this promise, of this forgiveness, and living it out in the way that you love, in the way that you express faith, in the way that you live out purity. Well, you have to watch your life and your doctrine. And you have to do both of these. You have to hold fast to both of these. If you just watch your life, you can devote yourself and find yourself completely in a wrong place. Um, there are cults out there. There are, there are people who teach horrible things that look godly. Some people are just so incredibly devoted people, but they actually are not following through on the truths of God. On the flip side, some people are just really stuck in the Christian language and the Christian truths. They know the doctrine left and right, but they're not watching their lives. There is a power that comes, a godly power, when you live out what you believe, when your belief and your behavior begins to converge. Then Christ and his reality and the joy of knowing him, the promise of him becomes so real. You only get there if you persevere in them, if you hang on, if you hold fast, if you stay with, this is what God has said. This is what it means to live in this life. I'm not going to listen to what I hear from other places, the godless chatter. I know a celebration is coming. I know a graduation is coming. And so I'm going to hold fast. This is the life that we get to leave, lead. This is the example we get to set. It doesn't matter who we are. God has chosen us to live this kind of life. I want you to bow your heads with me as we begin to pray. Sometimes the message of Christ seems